Namaste. Welcome to Call and Response Podcasts with Krishnadas, where he shares meaningful stories of his life on the path, of his Guru Maharaji, and integrating spiritual practice into our everyday lives. Call and Response Podcasts is an offering of the Kirtanwala Foundation. The foundation is dedicated to spreading the teachings of Neem Karoli Baba, a great spiritual teacher of India. If you are interested in supporting this podcast and the work of the foundation, please visit kirtanwalafoundation.org K-I-R-T-A-N-W-A-L-L-A-H foundation.org So practice, you got to do practice, I'm sorry, you just have to. With our eyes open and our hearts open. But through a practice, you're, you're, you get used to coming back from being gone. It's more like an ability to let go. Hi, everybody. Some of you are becoming regulars. This is very scary. <laughs> yeah, well, we're still here. That's, that's one thing. That's the main thing. When you're not here, there's nothing you can do. So it's good to be here. The past is gone. The future has not yet arrived. This is it. Now, this is the moment that we have to, to uh, meet the next moment, which is just like this moment. This is the moment when we can uh, make some effort to calm our asses down and to try to be less reactive and to, like they say in India, bhajan karo, remember. Remember. Remember is, is the key to everything. Remember to remember. And then when you remember, what do you remember? You try to remember the love that lives within you, within us. And that has many different forms for us, each people. Each person has their own version of that love vision of that love. So, and the names of God and what, the names of that love, that, that's not a name of something outside of your true nature. It's not something else, not something other than you are, but actually your true name on the deepest level, ultimate reality. Relative reality, there's me and there's others. But ultimately, like Hanuman says to Ram, when I, when I don't know who I am, I serve you. When I identify with my soul, you are the whole and I am a part. But when I know who I am, you and I are one. So that's a statement of reality. It's not something you have to beat into your head to try to believe because the limited conceptual mind could never wrap itself around that. It's not something that needs to be uh, believed with blind faith. It's something that has to be experienced or at least moved towards in our daily lives. And ultimate reality, oneness, means that we are all a part of that one. All of us, even the people we don't like. 
And so what we want to do is learn how to treat everybody well. But that also means learning how to treat ourselves well. Like that guy said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's a big thing. If, if we could do that, the world would be a different place immediately. Immediately. But we can't do that. It's not easy for us to give up our, our, our defenses, our, our stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, all lifelong. So that's what practice is about. Practice is about learning to release that stuff, let go of it, weaken the glue that holds our sense of self to those miserable thoughts and feelings and emotions. Okay, see you next week. Hi. Hi. I'm here because I'm singing uh, a lot of kirtans in this COVID period. I'm very happy. Mm -hmm. And I can stop uh, singing kirtans. I thank you very much. Yeah. And I'm in a very good place now because I turned my life in some reactive things I was making and it's a very big change for me so I want to to sing more yeah, good. and it was very difficult for me uh, it's very difficult to do that wonderful keep singing oh yeah just keep singing okay so, thanks and you know you can Thank sing you. you can sing silently inside as well you know it doesn't okay. have to be outside. When you go out in the street, you don't want to be singing out loud. They'll put you away. <laughs> so you just quietly inside with your mind. Because it's in the mind that the name is really being repeated. Without thinking the name, without it coming into your awareness, it's never going to come out of your mouth. So you follow the name in to the source where it comes. You just keep singing and stay with it. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Hi. <laughs> uh, thank you. I was reading this book, uh, the one you shared, uh, the PDF of Divine Reality, uh, last week. Yeah. And it's a beautiful book. Uh, it has all the pictures of all the temples Maharaji built. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you because just half an hour before, uh, I saw one video of Ramdas and he said, uh, Krishna suffered the most, uh, the death of Maharaji. We all were sad, but he suffered the most about it. And he said, I wanted to help him, but I couldn't. And you also said in your documentary that it took you 21 years uh, to be on the other side of life. Uh, my question is this. It might have been uh, 50 years, you never know. It might be 60 years. <laughs> so my question uh, is, uh, how did you get over this pain of losing Maharajji? We all crave him even today through your singing. We go to him through books, through Ramdas. We still get the hint of what he is. How You lived with him for two years, maybe more. How did you get over the pain of, yeah. How did you get over the pain of losing him? I haven't. You know, one has a personality, a humanness along with, 
everything else. And in, in my humanness, I still miss him. It doesn't destroy me anymore. But I miss his physical presence. How can you not miss that? Because all the, uni- all the love and the beauty and the whole universe was wrapped up in that. I can't not miss that. Touching that and laughing with that and being hit by fruit from thrown by that and all that stuff, I can't... I miss that. I miss that connection because no one can, can be that for me except him. However, I also recognize that everything I'm feeling, all the love that I feel, is actually inside of me. I'm feeling that inside of me. And I'm feeling his presence also. So it's, it's everything. It's not one thing or another. Everything's, everything is, uh, there has to be space for everything. You know, Ramdas said he didn't miss Maharaji, but uh, maybe by the end that was true because he really had dissolved so much into that love and the fierceness of his tapasya, of his, of his austerities, being in that wheelchair for 20 years, really ripened him and cooked him so maybe by the end he didn't miss him because he was so in his presence all the time. But, you know, I miss him because nobody can take his, the place of that on the physical plane. It's not even, a, you know, it just can't happen. Only he can be him. And even though he's everything in the whole universe, that has to be something that we actually experience, not pretend, not manipulate ourselves emotionally to to believe something that we hope is true. No, you have to have the direct experience. So it's okay to miss him, but it's not okay to let that destroy you. So I was saved from that, from being destroyed by my missing him, which is what was happening for so many years. And it was... uh, it was grace that saved me. So, your job is to find that love inside of you and to recognize that as the guru. And you don't have to worry about being attached to his physical form because you didn't have that. And that's a fucking blessing. You think, it, you know, I want a guru, I want a guru, I want a guru in a body, I want a guru in a body. You know, enough of that shit. Get on with your work. You never know what's going to happen. In the meantime, clean your, your, your stuff up. Clean the mirror of your heart. Become a good human being. And don't worry about whether a physical manifestation of the guru is going to show up. The guru is with you. He has to be with you. She has to be with you. There's no other place a guru can be except with the disciple, with the devotee. So... That's where you have to look, is inside yourself. And right now, when you look inside yourself, all you see is your shit. 24-7-365. That's what practice is about. Let go. Come back. Let go. Come back. Let go. Come back. Let go. Come back. Read the books about him. Read the books about the other saints. 
see how they lived, see how they treated other people, see how they went through their day, how they lived in the world. You know, immerse yourself in this stuff. You can't just sit around and do like 10 minutes a day and think that you're going to be blissfully happy and find the Guru. You have to see who you are. That's who the Guru is. Guru, God, and Self. Not different. One thing. What is Self? Do you know? No. And yet, there's nothing that's closer to you than your own true Self. But we look outside. Where our awareness is flowing out through the senses and meeting what we call the external world. And we don't see what's in there. Through practice, you're turning your attention within, little by little, until you actually focus on something within yourself, your true nature. So, and it's all grace anyway, but you have to, you have to do some practice and cup your hands, right? To catch the raindrops. It's always raining. Also, grace is always flowing over us, but we can't drink. We can't get it because we don't, we don't know how to catch those drops of grace. Through practice, we, we develop the ability or the, uh, the openness to allow the grace to come inside of us, to feel it inside. That's the deal. Aditya, Hridayam, Punyam, Sarvshatru Vinashanam. For the one who holds the sun in his heart, all, all negativity, all obscurations, all, all calamities, all problems are destroyed. So that's where you have hold the sun in your heart. The sun of love, the sun of awareness, the sun of, of, of your soul. Move, that's where you have to move in that direction. You don't have to, but if, you might want to. Two minutes a day, you might want to. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Ho jayega, as Can you say, Jao, uh, I get the blessing. Yeah. Little more sun comes and stays with my heart when you say Jao every time. So thank you so much for that. See is how we say Jao in America. See you around. Hello. Uh, Katie, I wanted to ask, you said once, Maharajji, Maharajji said, I'll turn you, I'll turn your minds against uh, <laughs> me. Yeah. So he might have done that sometime. Uh, how did you, because you said... No, he never did that. He never did that. He was just teasing us. He was just teasing us. And in fact, it's the opposite. He turned our mind towards him. He, 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 he attracted us just like flowers grow towards the sun. Right? So our hearts grew towards him, grow towards him because... He is that son. But, but he did transfer us, you know. He did definitely transfer people. I told you the story about my friend Mira, right? Did I, you know, 
uh, some years ago, many, maybe seven, eight, nine years ago, uh, two, this couple came back to India for the first time since Maharaji had left the body. And they came to Kenchi, and we, I was there, we were there, a bunch of people were there. And um, one day we were doing Hanuman Chalisa in front of Maharaji's temple, and I looked over, and uh, I saw this woman the, of the couple standing on the steps just below where the tucket is, this tucket is. And that's where we used to see him usually in the mornings, sometimes in the afternoon. And um, she was just staring and wasn't moving. And I went, whoa, what's going on there? Something's going on there. And uh, later on, she came over to me and she said, Krishna Das, I think you're the only one here who could understand what I'm going to tell you. I said, what? I was just standing on the steps, looking at the tucket where Maharaji used to sit. And I remembered that that's exactly where I used to stand and watch him back in 72, 73. I was standing in the same spot. And I remembered that when in the old days, when I stood and watched him, the feeling I had was, I'm home. This is it. I'll always be here. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And she just said, what happened? Married, family, business, 40 years go by. Christian asked, what happened? I was just where I was supposed to be. I made it. I was home. Transfer Hogya. Bus. He brought us there. He gave us what we had to have. And then he sent us back into our lives. He's the one doing it all. He didn't turn our minds against him. He was just joking. Of course, he could do that. You know, in fact, one time we're sitting with him and uh, there was this Beautiful old devotee. Of all the old devotees that I met, this one guy was the sweetest of them all. He was nothing but sweet. He was un... He was extraordinary. He was so beautiful. Maharaji looked at him for a second. He pointed, pointed to him and he said, he was my enemy in our last life. What? And he, of all the devotees, he was the sweetest of them all. But in their last life together, he was Maharaji's enemy. What does that even mean? Who knows what it means? We don't know. So only he knows. He's doing everything. He's moving you here. He's moving you there. And in fact, you right now are exactly where he wants you to be. Just because you haven't seen him physically, you think he can't do anything? What? He's not like us. He's the Lord of the universe. And he does what he does for our sake. He does what he has to do for us. He puts us where we have to be to work out whatever karmas we have to work out and get move along on the path to him. He's the goal, he's the path, and he's who we truly are also. When we know that, then we're pakka, we're ripe. So he's exactly where we, we are exactly where he wants us to be, everyone. 
One time he said, even he said, he said to Dada, he said, Dada, if I've done one thing in this life, I've remained wherever Ram has placed me. And I think there's a line in the Ramchart Manas that says, a being is always exactly where Ram wants him to be. So, the illusion of free will is something we have to get over through practice, not through thinking about it. Through practice. So when I said to Siddhi Ma, so I said, Ma, you know, Maharaji said that he had the keys to the mind. Which means to me that I am, not only am I where he wants me to be, but everything I think, everything I see, everything I feel, is his doing. So I said, Ma, what's the deal? Do I have to make effort then, or is it all his grace? He said, Krishnadas. She said, Krishnadas, it's all grace. But you have to act like it isn't. That's the deal. So figure out what that means to you, and that's the deal. Thank you so much, Vivi. What you just said, you're where you're supposed to be. I'm, I'm in southern Oregon in the middle of western America that is on fire. And I feel safe because I'm where I'm supposed to be. And Well, if you leave, then you're also supposed to have left. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, the whole, the city, what that beautiful thing Sidima said to you, I mean, it's all grace, but our car is packed and we're ready to go. Yeah. You know, I mean, like we're, and I'm here to testify that what you say about practice when you can, because you'll need it when you can't, um, for, uh, this week we were cut off from internet and so I missed your course and I missed your Thursday satsang, but you recommended this book to us. Mm-hmm. And so I, I read the Ramina and thank you. It's really speaks to Westerners and I'm clearly Westerner. And uh, what has really struck me is every time something changed for Ram, he just was like, okay. And he'd move into it. He was just so accepting of everything. And then this morning I listened to Ramdas talking about Dharma and I heard a lot of things that I hear from you. And I'm leading up to a question. I guess I want you to, could you, you kind of already have, speak a little bit to Dharma and accepting what where we are actually i think you've already answered everything <laughs> but do you know what i'm talking about like i was just no. amazed at ram's consistent acceptance and <clears throat> and and you know maybe understanding that bigger things are happening than what's just right in front of your face well, he is the bigger things happening, too. You remember, he's, <laughs> he's the supreme being acting like a human. 
and every once in a while he he shows that he knows everything like when he gives hanuman his ring mm-hmm. you know there were a million monkeys but he knew hanuman was going to find sita so he gave him his ring first and he said when you find sita show her the ring yeah. well and every once in a while he just he, he kind of it, it he's it seems like he slips a little bit and forgets he's supposed to act like a human see ram was even though he's a full incarnation of god just like krishna he was he had certain limitations on his manifestation he could only do certain things he couldn't he couldn't reveal his divinity and they say that supposedly he didn't even know but that's bullshit he just didn't show that he knew mm-hmm. until his guru taught him about himself and then he could you know admit that he knew something but uh remember the ramayana is a leela it's leela leela means divine play or divine drama or even divine play like playing like a game mhm and the whole drama was created to destroy the darkness that had come into the world and the the, the negative energy the demonic energy personified by ravana and the demons who had taken over the whole world they controlled the whole show they told what the sun went to rise the wind went to blow i mean all the natural forces they used to eat human beings they used to sprinkle human beings on their on on you know for dessert you know that was mm. they, they it was a horrific situation they ruled the four quarters of the world completely so ram had to create a drama in this world ram the supreme in order to uh destroy that negativity here so everything that was in that leela everything that was done only had one purpose whether we understand it or not and mm-hmm. it's not possible to understand it with the human mind <laughs> no but that's no. the deal with that well i've got to say burning down lanka has a whole new meaning for me um there's mm-hmm. no negotiating with fire it's very thorough yeah so thank you for yeah. all you've offered us it when i was all cut off from everything it my practice was still with me and Good. you've coached us through all that and thank Good. you and please take care of yourself don't take any risks there's nothing you can do if the fire hits you anyway so you might as well be gone so make sure you have enough gas and the roads are clear Well, that's the situation. There's actually nowhere to go, so staying here is the best and wow. staying and calming our asses down, which you've yeah. taught us how to do. So, thank you. Somebody's got to teach me. <laughs> We're all here for you, KD. Okay, good. Well, hello to everyone. Well, I wanted to thank you first of all for all you do. Thank you very much. Well, you know already. <laughs> and I have two questions actually. One if um would you say that guru and buddha are the same? Uh well from the indian from the hindu point of view buddha is one of the incarnations of god like ram like krishna the full incarnation of god. 
the Buddhists don't see it that way. They say that the uh, Buddha is. Uh, the, it, it's very it's very complicated and very subtle stuff. Buddha certainly was a guru, is a guru, of course, yes. supreme guru. But he's he's also from an Indian, from the Hindu point of view, he's an one of the avatars of God, one of the avatars. But he and never that means incarnation. Okay. But he didn't he didn't proclaim himself that way. He said, "I'm a human being, and I attained enlightenment by my own efforts, and so can you." That's how he presented himself in the world because, well, no, I can't say because, but, but his job was to help people. So mm -hmm. this is how he helped people. In that time, uh, the Dharma was being, actually he brought the word Dharma into daily life, but religion was run by the priests and it was just a business. And they controlled, you couldn't be, they were the ones they would they had to do special pujas for you otherwise this wouldn't happen or this wouldn't happen so they were making lots of money and the poor people were just suffering terribly and so he brought in the idea that everybody's enlightenment is up to themselves mm. before that was not the case uh, people were not that that was not a, something that people were taught they thought that they were they were victims of their karmas and there was no way for them to become enlightened unless you know certain things happened for them so buddha gave a whole he was a rebel he was like christ in the, in the temple he just you know he he destroyed the priest you know the, the whole power of the priestly class mm. and he taught the way to the way he himself progressed on the path he taught to others and and would that that wouldn't be a different with Maharaji actually because he taught that if we sing the Hanuman Chalisa then we can be also our karmas would be erased. When you make a fruit salad, you put in grapes, you put in peaches, you put in apples, you put in bananas. They're not the same. They're all fruit, but they're different mm -hmm. fruits, and they mm -hmm. taste differently. Some people like bananas, some people like this, some people like that. Got it. So, and more than that, uh, Maharaji is instructing us how to connect with him mm. in his transmission. He, he's the captain of this huge boat, and we are the passengers on that boat. Mm. He's taking us to the other shore. Uh, mm. So he's, he's telling us what we need to do to get on the boat and the best place to sit mm. and all that stuff. So if mm. his teaching is universal, but it's also, uh, it's also uh, a way of opening ourselves to him and his lineage and his transmission, which is what we really need to do. I mean, we can do other practices, we can have other teachers, we can go to all kinds of teachings and do all kinds of different types of meditation, but 
if you feel connected to Maharaji, what you want to do is connect even more and more deeply. Mm. And when I go to see other teachers, I don't expect what I what I expect to get from other teachers is a deeper connection with Maharaji who lives inside of me. So they are showing me other ways and other practices maybe to find that deeper place inside. It's not necessary, but you know, I like it. I like saints. I like hanging out with yogis. They're great. So, but I don't expect, all I expect to find is Maharaji. You know, I don't expect to find anything else. Mm. Whatever he is, you know, which is his presence and love. So, um, each path is fine in itself. And all paths lead to the same goal. He said that, so. Mm. Uh, for me, it's all about connecting to him the way I see him more deeply. And so that's what it can be for you. How you feel him, what you feel he is, what that feeling is that you want to connect to that more deeply inside yourself. And that leads to my other question because you say that he doesn't really appear, like nobody can make him appear, no? Like he appears when he wants to appear. That's Basically, yeah. No. Yeah, that's what they. So say. if I so if I see him, then I'm not imagining him. No. The an the simple answer is that's correct. The subtle answer is, who's doing who's who? Mm. Who do you think you are that you're seeing something you think you're seeing? So in the world of duality, and you and him, yeah, he come to see you. In the world of oneness, who's seeing who? So it just, all your questions and all your, your whole universe is based on who you think you are. That's all. So of course, in that universe, he's something outside of you that has to come to see you. But when you recognize yourself as the whole universe, you're everywhere and he's everywhere. And there's only one of you. So that's ultimate reality, which is not where we live. We live in this world where you think you're you, I think we're, I'm me. And if Maharaji comes into our awareness, it's because he did that. Yes, mm. that's true. That's what I believe. That's what I've been told. But ultimately, there's no Maharaji outside of you because you are not you. You are him. So, hmm. And how do you do to, believe, to really, not believe that or understand that, but to really feel that, you know? You like, already said it. Do the Hanuman Chalisa. Repeat the name. Okay. That's what he said. I'm not telling you anything that I, I know. That's new. I'm just. Re I'm a parrot. I'm just repeating what he said. Ram Nam Karnesis Apuro Jatas. The repetition of the name. Everything is achieved. What else do you want to know? Ah, do mm -hmm. we believe that? Well, mm -hmm. maybe thirty seconds a day. <laughs> but he said it. But we don't believe mm -hmm. it. We can't even bake. Even when we read it over and over again and think about it over and over again, we don't really believe it because if we really believed it, that's all we'd be doing. But we're busy. We've got things to do. Oh my, you know, I have to go to the movies. I have to go shopping. I have to make dinner. I have to do this. We, we forget the name in two seconds because we believe it in our minds, but we don't believe it with our whole hearts yet. Mm. 
The minute we do believe it with our whole hearts, that's it. It's over. So, What's over? That's the question. What's the, over? The delusion of being who you think you are. But what about family? What about everyone you love also? Isn't it that when you... I, I don't... I, They're all I don't. still there, but there's only love everywhere. And everybody mm -hmm. is exactly who they are, and you're exactly who you are. What do you mean, what about family? What do you mean, they disappear? You think they disappear? Yeah, yeah, I don't know what I think exactly, but I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if... if I, I don't know. I... I there's fear. I still have to. I still have to sing. <laughs> There's fear. You have fear of something, of letting go. Perhaps, yeah. Yeah. You want to hold on to the. You think something's going to be taken from you if you let go and and open into love. It's exactly the opposite. That's your ego talking. It's the ego that's afraid of letting go. Wants to hold on to everything, maintain its separateness. So that's okay. Keep singing. Keep repeating the name. Don't think about it. It's not your problem. It's his problem. You do what he says, he'll take care of everything. Thank you. You don't have to give up anything. You just have to remember the name. There's no, no. Hanuman, I've said this a million times lately, is that Hanuman is that great Lord, the great God, Mahadev, Mahakala, the supreme cosmic time himself. He's the one who allows us to, to become liberated by allowing us to enter into his state of consciousness, which is Ram. So that's how he gives us liberation, by allowing us to enter into him, into Maharaji, into the love. And more than that, he also allows us to satisfy the desires that we have to satisfy. This is not a renunciate trip. This is a trip of fullness and completion in everything. And finding the desires are not bad for you. The desires that will hurt you, you don't get to do. He takes those away. The desires that you need to satisfy, they may even hurt you for a while. You have to do, go through that also. But he allows you, he, he makes it possible, he gives you the fruit of your desires on the way to merging with him. Life. You, you live a full life. You don't sit, you don't sit uh, in, in an ashram or in a temple uh, for your whole life. You're in the world. You become a full, complete human being and you treat everybody the same way you would like to be treated. And then you have no problem. He makes it possible for that, for us to to have all the things we want to have, we need to have. Not everything we want. And just like Mick said, you can't always get what you want, but you always get what you need. <laughs> so, on the way to becoming him. That's, what he, that's all his doing. He brought that football player into your life. He brought those kids into your family. <laughs> He's making it possible for you to get what you need so you're not hungry. And then, <laughs> when you're not hungry... You can move on. You can't, he's said many times, you can't talk to a hungry person about God. Feed them first. Mm -hmm. All the stuff we have, that's he's feeding us. He's feeding us. So that we'll be ready to look for God, ready to allow God to, to, 
to op open up to that. Because you can't talk to a hungry person about other things. They need food. Desires, some desires need to be satisfied. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's, that's, that's Hanuman. Hanuman saha Mahadeva, Kalakalaha Sada Shiva, Muktido Mukti Kevalya, Buktido Sarvakamadaha. Hanuman is that Mahadev, the great God, Mahakala, the eternal goodness, the blissful one who bestows Mukti, liberation, by allowing seekers to merge into his own state, as well as bestowing the enjoyment of all one's cherished objects of desire. Right? So, mm. you think that by allowing more love in, you're going to lose everything you, you wanted, or you created? No. You just enjoy it more, because there's no fear of losing it. The fear of mm. losing what we're holding on to is, is so destructive to our happiness. So you have to let go of that fear, little by little. That's, those, that's a program that's running and has been running and will keep running until we, we practice letting go. That's what the Chalisa is about. That's what the repetition of the name is about. And the Hanuman Chalisa itself will uh, purify the mirror of the heart. The fear, the dust on the mirror is the fear, the anger, the shame, the grief, the selfishness. That's what's cleaned off the mirror of the heart through the practices. Mm. Thank you. Okay. I, thank you. I'm Hello. Here. I have been listening to all the answers, Katie, because like all the questions that keep arising in my mind, I keep getting answers little by little in others' questions also. What brings me here today is like, I feel this great churning inside me for, I mean, I've been feeling it for, I don't know how long, like many days or years. And uh, I'm in the middle of my samsara stage. Like I have two young children. I'm responsible for the family, for the kids. But I'm, I'm also facing this newly developed fear of death for some reason. Like me and my husband, we both have been going through physical ailments for past few years. Not like they are pretty early for our age. I mean, like we are in our middle thirties, but every time we hear the, these days, you know, it's very easy for like, if somebody passes away sadly, uh, like in our uh, society, like in our friends of friends of friends, you get these GoFundMe campaigns for them, for their families. And many of those people are parents of our age. Like they have young children and they have mostly non-immigrant families in the US. We are one such, like we are not uh, citizens of US, but we are living here for work. So that puts us in a spot where there are a lot of uncertainties. Like we, we are good to live in the now, but our, we don't have like a very set long-term future in front of our eyes. So that aggravates that fear of death for me probably because uh, every time I hear somebody else going through it, I feel 
what if that happens to me i know about all the theoretical knowledge we also practice it at most of the times about being in the present moment doing the right thing and all those things but uh, still like uh, spiritually it's very very uh, dampening for the uh, for the spirit of learning and moving forward when you get stuck in the loop of i think a lot of this is <laughs> i'm just letting out my personal uh, anguish right now i don't know i don't want to bother like the whole group with that but yeah that's what i i just wrote down what i was feeling and it, it main points are about the fear of death that i have been experiencing and i also know that it might be a fear of uncertainties more than that of death uh, like you know and why am i you using the word so clearly like why am i talking about death so clearly is because um of the physical ailments that my husband suffered something 6 months ago which was like a rare autoimmune condition and then he's been re- recovering from that and i have been living with something and i developed something else and something else like by god's grace on one hand everything is good but on the other hand it's always taking me pulling me back to looking at the suffering part instead of like looking at the 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 grace part like i hope you can understand what i'm saying yeah 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 so yeah well f- first of all uh this is a very unusually horrible time everybody is suffering everywhere in the world this is we don't we don't know that there was ever a time like this and so the whole atmosphere is filled with fear every you're breathing it in you're breathing it out everywhere you go forget your own fears the atmosphere we're living in daily not even the uh not even uh, i'm just talking externally the news is full of fear everybody you meet on the street is full of fear your friends are full of fear your it's a terrible time it's a very difficult painful time there's no question about it it's it's unheard of that this has been ever been like this in the world where the whole world has basically shut down really so aside from your personal issues this is what you're sitting in every day all day and there's a lot of that that we take personally also it it fits right in with our our story so it magnifies our stuff okay look what's going to happen is going to happen what's not going to happen is not going to happen then what's our job is to stay here best we can when we catch ourselves lost in the fear of the future we try to let it go and come back that's what we do we can't change the karmas that are going to manifest for us and what's manifesting they're already here so we can the best we can deal with them we have to find we have to do the best thing we can physically for ourselves siddhima once said in this age god comes as medicine so you take medicine you try to go to doctors you do the best you can for your health but you have your mental and emotional and spiritual health too and you have to spend time on that and there's no quick medicine for that over time 
you develop the faith to accept whatever comes the best way you can and to uh, to keep giving those fears back to God, get rid of, you know, offering them, you know, offering those emotions and, and trying to break the glue and, and dissolve the glue that those emotions come with. They just glue us to them, right? And we believe everything we feel. Mm-hmm. And then something else happens and we forget about them. Oh, and then they come back. And we don't realize that we spent two hours not thinking about them because when we're in the grip of those type of emotions, one of the qualities of those emotions are it's always going to be like this. It makes you feel like that. So, but when, when you don't feel like that, you don't, you don't even notice it. You don't, don't tell me that you live in anguish and fear 24 hours of every day. No, but when you are in that anguish, one of the qualities of that anguish is that this is it, it'll always be like this. And then it disappears. Mm. So, but you don't notice when it disappears. So that's, as far as your spiritual work, you, you need to pray and connect to a deeper place inside of you. And I would suggest, because it's the only thing I know, is that you sing the Hanuman Chalista. And if you don't know it, just learning it is big enough to pass you to, to, to destroy a lot of karma. So this is what Maharaj gave us to uh, develop strength and, and, and inner strength and also compassion and kindness and and don't think about yourself all the time. All you do, all we do, is think about ourselves. All day long, every day. And we never get bored obsessing about ourselves and what's going to happen and how will I do this and if this happens, what then and then if this and then that. You have to find a way to release that stuff, okay? So sing Hanuman Chalisa and repeat the names of God and try to connect with, with, with any of the great beings, the great saints, the great yogis, with Ram, with Krishna, with, with Kali, with Buddha, anything other than thinking about yourself all day long. And then see how you feel. If you're not thinking about yourself, you don't even know how you feel. It's not a problem. Yeah. No, but like like I uh, mentioned to you, I mean, I I was told that there is a tumor, like there is a there's a development in the on my thyroid, and like it needs to be taken off, and or like a lot of things were going on in the last one year, and that's the main thing. And okay, the connection. I have one specific question written down over here to ask you is. If everyone is loved, we talk about the Advaitism, like non-duality. If everyone is connected, everyone is loved, then why do we experience suffering to the level of getting physical ailments? Like, I mean, I have, I have experienced bullying in terms of, it's like a passive aggression 
I take things to my heart. That's what I, I think. I think that's how things have been like being too sensitive to whatever somebody says, does behind your back, in front of you, to somebody else. So all those things like gathering up and manifesting into physical ailments, probably like that's how uh, it's looked up as lo- looked into as. So uh, yeah, so that's a that's a story you tell yourself that. You know, because you're so sensitive, you absorb so much negativity, and this made you sick. That's just the story you're telling yourself. It may not be true. It's at least 50-50. But you believe that. So that makes you feel worse about yourself. What's the sense? You keep telling yourself stories that make make you feel bad. And you believe them as if they're ultimately true and there's no question about it. How could that be? It's just your thoughts, your, your programs. Yeah, based on certain experiences that you have, you make up a story about yourself that makes you feel worse. Do some puja, do some practice, try to let go of this stuff, and you, as, a, as an Indian, you know what it means to ask God for things and ask God to help you out. And pray and beg. And I don't care if you don't believe in it. You have to do it anyway. Because what you believe in sucks. You believe in yourself and how horrible you are and how sick you are and how sensitive you are and how hurt you are. And you don't see yourself at all. You're the true self. You don't see God in you. God is in you. The love is in you. It's in you. That's who you are. Yeah. So that you have to find that in you. You have to find a way to release all this, this heavy thinking. What's going to happen is going to happen. What's not going to happen is not going to happen. So you be here now with it. You repeat the name. You pray. You do puja. You pray. You try to connect with, your, with, with something you believe in other than your own ego. And you do the best you can to take care of everybody in your life the best you can. And don't think about yourself all the time. (laughs) But that's what we all do. We all do that, right? What good does it do? You can't figure it out. So if you want to feel better, we have to find... Huh? Yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, I was just saying one good thing that happened, like whatever, whatever result came up in my biopsy last year, it came better this, like just last weekend. Mm-hmm. Doctor who was advising me to go for an immediate surgery, she cancelled it. She said we can wait for another six months and we can hold mm-hmm. it on. So, yeah, and yeah, I'll tell you personally, it's not like I'm sitting in uh, distress all the time, but yes, I I hear you. I don't want to like you know clarify and defend and uh, anything because yeah. a lot of things that you said uh, we are already trying to do the prayers and practices, and but then also uh, you're, some you're, of the things you're planning to do or you're gonna no, do no, we are, now. No, no, we we, we do. I, I'm saying we already like you know <laughs> practice Hanuman Chalisa. My two and a half year old sings the chalisa with us so that's how we all are fond of and we do it at home all four of us so yeah i mean we are somewhere there on the way and then we keep getting like off track many times so i understand like you know where i am falling short yeah 
Whatever you do, you should always get second opinions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. About, you know, the what, about your physical issues. Mm-hmm. Oh, especially yeah. before surgery. Don't yeah. take one doctor's opinion of it. Find another and make sure that that's the best thing to do, at least a different doctor. And there's other ways mm-hmm. to treat those things too, you know. And there must be some Ayurvedic doctors in Charlotte, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. nice. So herbs are very good. I know people who have those thyroid issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely get a second opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. have you done that? Sure. No, I like uh, this is this is the second time we just went to the same doctor, but I have to find a, another doctor for second opinion. Yeah, so, you should definitely yeah, yeah, find yeah, it because yeah. uh, it's it's always a good idea to do that, especially before surgery. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah at least I put my foot down, uh, the, like saying that I want to repeat the biopsy instead of going for an immediate surgery. That's what yeah, happened in August, and at least like that took us in the right direction. So I'm glad. It Absolutely. Worked out. Yeah. Very good. So, yeah. Hanuman Chalisa Maharaji yeah. says it can wipe the faith from your forehead. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I wish you the best. Okay. Thank you, Thank you so much. Ram Ram, I had two questions, and one is uh, one I think I've already asked you before, but there's a a quote from Dilgo Rinpoche. Dilgo Kensei Rinpoche. Dilgo Kensei Rinpoche, Mm -hmm. and he said, um, "To meet someone that really hurts you is a rare and precious treasure." You should hold that person in high esteem and make the full use of the opportunity to eradicate your defects, to make progress on the path. Because if you can't feel love and compassion for those who treat you badly, it's a sign that your mind has not been fully transformed and that you need to keep working on it. Sure. And so I keep doing practices to you work mean on you it. You keep looking for people who are going to give you a hard time? Yeah. 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 <laughs> You're an expert. Really good at that. Yeah. Uh, but it returns me to God, right? Because Maharaji said suffering. He'd rather you choose suffering over happiness. Because yeah, you, w- you would hope so. But, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt to feel good sometime either. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, I guess my question is like, uh, in my mind, I do meta and I put flowers on their head and I forgive them and wish them well. Uh, and time is supposed to heal all wounds, uh, supposedly. And so I guess my question is, how do you let go like, of those things which are not real because they're in the past? No, they're as what real as you are. They're as real as you are. Because you think you're real. Those things are also real. They're your experiences. They happen to the real you and they're real experiences. Neither are you real nor are the experiences real, but we don't know that. That's a mind trip. That's a head trip. We're not here to manipulate ourselves emotionally or conceptually to believe something that we haven't experienced ourselves. So, how do you let go? Again and again and again and again and again and again and again. That's how. And you also let go of the expectation that someday I'll be finished with this. (laughs) And you deal with the now, not at the future. And, And... and when you offer metta to someone, or uh, 
you really try to connect with the feeling deeply. Not just like, okay, feel good, you know, yes, I wish you the best, love you, may you be safe, maybe. You try to actually feel that and connect with the feeling. And then that feeling expands within you and opens up a deeper field of okayness inside of you. It's the feeling that we are okay as we are, that we've lost totally touch with. And so we keep trying to plug up all the holes in our, in our emotional self with stuff, with people, with experiences, because we lost touch with, with the fact that inside we're perfectly fine. We're okay. We're, we are that, but we don't know that. So the practice of metta, for instance, and offering metta is a way of, really, of dissolving and disappearing the situation that's causing you suffering. Because when you envelop that person in the field of loving-kindness, who you think that person is just dissolves. You know, it's not... You, then you see them differently. You see, oh, wow, what a life this person must have, you know. And then you start to see that everything people do that hurt you, that seemed aimed at you, they're not really aimed at us. They're just exploding out of their own pain. And if they can't fucking deal with it, you know, if we can't fucking deal with it, how can we expect anybody else to deal with it? So that's called compassion. It just arises naturally when you see somebody else in pain. And then you don't accept the gift of the negative behavior. Like the Buddha, you know, one time this farmer came to the Buddha and started, was yelling at him because his son became a monk and then he had no one to, to plow the fields with him. And he's yelling at the Buddha, and when he finally stopped, Buddha says to him, uh, Old man, can I ask you a question? Yeah. He said, if someone brings, you, someone brings someone a gift, and the gift is not accepted, where does the gift stay? What happens to the gift? And the farmer says, well, it stays with the person who brought it. And Buddha said, just so, I don't accept the gift of your anger. It stays with you. So... That's why the practice of loving kindness and 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 uh, can expand that that field of love. Without, it's not a field of love that can be expanded with our will. We can't say, "Okay, now I'm going to love everybody." No, we plant the seeds of that love through our practice, which is why people who give us a hard time are such a blessing because they force us to see ourselves clearly, how much shit we have, how reactive we are. And then we have so many options. First of all, we, can, we deal with that person, but then we can also try to see why we feel this way about ourselves. Where does it come from? It has to come from somewhere. Everything comes from something. Every effect, what's here now, has come from an experience or effects in the past. So that's one of the ways that that starts to lighten up for us. It's a, and, and 
So, you know, in the loving-kindness practice, there's different phases. The first phase is you offer to yourself, and then you offer to your benefactor, somebody who's always been there for you, never judged you, always been on your side, like a grandparent or something like that, you know, or a teacher. And then the, one of the other ones is the neutral person, somebody that you have no... You don't really know much about that, but they're somewhere in your life and you see them, you know. So for me, it was the, uh, it was the clerk at the video store. That's who came up in my mind when I thought of a neutral person. I don't know anything about him, but I see him in those days, in the ancient days we used to rent videos. So I spent like 10 days offering him, you know, loving kindness and Nothing much was happening. You know, I didn't really feel anything much. So then after the course was over, I came back to the city. And after a few days, I went down to rent a video. I walked into the video store. And I saw this guy behind the counter. And I started weeping. And I, my heart exploded with love. It was so crazy. Uh, I, I had to go hide in the back of the store until I composed myself, you know. It was just uh, totally unexpected. I still, right now, this was 25, 30 years ago, I think about this guy, tears come to my eyes. <laughs> so this is what the idea behind the practice and neutral people and people who are supposedly you know, called the enemy, people who are always give you a hard time and seem to judge you all the time. It's only, all the, the suffering is happening inside of us. It's not their fault, they're just being them. It's us. So that's why someone like Kinsu Rinpoche, who was like Buddha himself, was saying that because this is how you see your stuff. If you don't see your stuff, the shadows push you around and you can't see them unless they manifest in our daily lives. So, I wonder what happened to that guy. I hope he's happy. I don't know where he is, what he's doing. <laughs> I miss him. <laughs> um, thank you for that. Um, and then I, can I ask one more, like the Rudrashtakam? Rudrashtakam. Rudrashtakam? Rudrashtak. Rudrashtak. Rudraashtak. Those are the two words. Ashtak is an eight. Ashtak means eight verses. And Rudra. Rudraashtak. Rudrashtak. Um, when you were saying that recently, I found it extremely powerful. Yeah. Um, and I was just curious, like, what, uh, where did it come from? Like, where did you, you haven't read, have, it? You ever, have you ever read Tulsi Das, Ramcharit Manas? No. Uh, I'm deleting you right now. You I did, but. not read that. You just recommended what? it in class. I think you just recommended a version in the class, and I ordered it online, but it hasn't come yet. But you can get a PDF online right now. It's an extraordinary book. You must read that. It will change your life, I guarantee you. It's going to change your life. It changed my life. It's just, when I first read it back in 69, Ram Dass gave me his copy, 
to read. It totally, I couldn't believe it. I just could not. Even today, I can't believe it. Yesterday, we read Sundarakan for three hours online. It was so beautiful to read it again. I have to read it more often. It's just so extraordinary. The Rudrashtak, it comes from the, the last chapter of the Tulsidas Ramayan. And Uttarakhand, it's called. And the whole story of that is in there. So that's what you have to do. You have to find that. I'll find it. Yeah, yeah. It's so great. You, you, just, you, you, you think you died and went to heaven. It's so fantastic. Read it. Read it. That goes for everybody. Namami Shamishan Nirvan Rupam Vipam Vyapakam Brahma Vedasvarupam. Ah, so great. Shiva Stuti. They call it Shiva Stuti also. And did Maharaji like it? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I, I've never, I didn't hear it around him. Tuari, it must be Tuari that turned me on to it. Must be. I, I don't remember exactly, but it must have been Tuari. Because uh, uh, in the book, in the temple prayer book, where is it? Most, the first temple prayer book was assembled by Tuari. Siddhima asked him to do that. So m- many of the prayers that he did all the time were, were the first outline of the prayer book. And then later they added others and stuff. But he had put the first one together. So that's the, so many great prayers in there. The Devya Aparadakshamapana Stota. That's a great one. That's in there too. That's, a, that's, that's a, the prayer to beg the goddess for forgiveness. That's what the name is. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. Gorkuch, what? You're happy, you're smiling, that's enough. Very good. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Maharaji, you know, Hanuman is, remember, Hanuman is Shiva. You know that. Hanuman, Shiva wanted to help Ram. And so he sent his Shakti through the wind god into Anjani's womb. And so, uh, Hanuman is actually Rudratmakaya. He's the form of Rudra, the soul of Rudra, of Shiva. There's ten. There's eleven forms of Shiva, and the eleventh one is Rudra, which is the form of which is what Hanuman, where he becomes, has that the this energy to destroy all the demons and especially Ravana, because Shiva had given Ravana the boon in the first place. So he, he created a way for Ravana to be killed also. So uh, Rudrashtak, Rudratmakaya, that's Hanumanji. It's all in the Ramcharitmanas. Everything you need to know is in that book. I guarantee you. Everything. The whole explanation of incarnation and avatars and who's who, and why, and how it happened, it's all in there. The difference between form and formless, and how to get to the formless through the form, it's all in this book, every bit of it. 
It just drips out of the pages. It's so extraordinary. Really. They say Tulsidas was an incarnation of Valmiki. And, and he wrote this in the... The book is written in the dialect of Hindi that was spoken in Ayodhya, Ram's kingdom, at the, in the time of Ram. That's the, the dialect that's written in. Aladi, it's called. And uh, it's all poetry. In, in Hindi, it's all poetry. It's so extraordinary. And uh, it's amazing. And Tulsidasu, he was, he was the Brahmins persecuted him because they owned all the scriptures, which were all in Sanskrit. And the poor people had to pay them to have recitations and to have pujas done and prayers. And religion, spirituality was not available to the poor people because the, the Brahmin priests were corrupt and they took it all and very similar to the time of the Buddha when Buddha came and took the, the power away from the priests. So Tulsidas brought the story which they could only hear when they paid a priest and they had no money so they weren't getting these things. He told the whole story in the local dialect and not only that, he told the story in a way that feeds devotion and explains devotion and shows how devotion is the way to go without and that without devotion and love. The lines in there, everywhere you look there's stuff like Rama hi keva prema piara jani leo jo jani hara Ram only loves love. <laughs> there's no other way to get to him except through love. Not penance, not mantras, not nothing. Only love. And the one who knows this knows everything there is to be known. This stuff is in there. It's all in there. It's mind-blowing. Ram only loves love. The only thing dear to Ram is love. Anything else is anything else. But if you want God, it's love is the only thing you need. And this book just feeds the heart like a like a, 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 a swollen river of bliss into the heart. That's what it is. But you don't like bliss, so maybe you won't read it. Kitty, I read the Divine Reality book, KK's book and others. Yeah, there are many stories of Maharaji. Is there a story about Maharaji that you wish was told more? <laughs> All of them. Every single story is extraordinary in its own way. Yeah, there's so many stories there. They're all amazing. The story, I mean, there's so many, you know, what, the stories that I like the most, well, there's so many stories, I like them all, but one of the the stories I like the most are the ones that show how kind and compassionate he is without any needing to be prodded or reminded. Or There's that story. Uh, there was this young girl living, and she was at her grandfather's house. She was eight years old. And Maharaji was visiting 
that house because his, her grandfather was his devotee, Maharaji's devotee. So one day she comes running into the house crying. And she comes up to Maharaji and she's crying. Maharaji says, what's wrong? What's wrong? Tell me what's wrong. Ask me anything, whatever you want. Ask me, tell me, what's wrong? What's wrong? And what had happened is this young girl had seen in a neighbor's house, she, she saw a dead body. Someone had died. And it was the first time she saw death. And she was just like in shock and she was weeping and weeping. So Maharaji's petting her on the head. Tell me, tell me what's wrong. Ask me anything. Ask me anything. What do you want? And the little girl, eight-year-old girl says, Baba, when I die, bring me back to life. So Maharaji just petted in the head and sent her away. So many years go by. It had to be 25, 30 at least years. The woman was married. The little girl grew up, was married, had a family. She and her husband lived in another town. Her grandfather had died. They had lost contact with Maharaji because her grandfather was the devotee. And so she's living with her husband in somewhere in some house, and she's dying. She's sick. And her husband calls, makes a call to her father, the little girl's father, and says, uh, you know, sir, you know, your daughter's, she's dying. Uh, and so he went to his guru, who uh, was a very good saint. And he said, Baba, please, you know, save my daughter. And his guru said, I can't do anything like that. But pray to Nimkaroli Baba. He can do that. He's the only one who can do that. He can bring your daughter back to life. So this the father of the young girl who's now an old woman, older woman, starts praying to Maharaji. Now back at the house where she's living with her husband, there's a knock on the door. Husband goes to the door and sees this bulky gentleman with a blanket wrapped around him standing there. And he says, your wife is sick? And he says, no, he, the guy doesn't know who this is. He said, no, sir, she's actually died. Nay, she's not dead. Take me to her. So the, he takes this guy into the house, and, Mahar, and this guy looks at the, 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 the woman lying dead, and he says to the husband, she's not dead. Do you have any grapes in the house? Bring me some grapes and a spoon. So the husband goes away, brings some grapes, and this, this guy squeezes the grapes with the spoon, and dribble some of the juice into the mouth of the, the dead woman. And she begins to breathe again. And then he looks at the husband and says, she's okay, she'll be okay now. And he leaves. And the woman recovered and lived many years. So that was Maharaji. Nobody had to call him. Nobody had to send a telegram. No one had to write a letter. No one had to do anything. He promised the eight-year-old girl he would bring her back to life when she died. And 30 years later, he shows up at the door at the moment of death. That's the kind of stories I like. He had all the powers in the universe. But what does he respond to? 
prayer of an eight-year-old girl because he said he would. So we don't know. We don't believe what we see. We we. We were with him, we read the stories, we hear the stories, but it doesn't, the sun does not rise, it doesn't dawn on us who he is, because he doesn't let it dawn on us. Because once we saw that, if you look at the sun directly, you're blinded. You have to find a way to be able to hold that. And, other, and so he hides himself, he doesn't let us really understand, experience who he is. But he he will. He's also preparing us for that. That's his job. That's what he does. That's what the spiritual path is. Being able to see God. Coming into the presence of God. Inside, outside, up there, in there, out there. Whatever you want to think of it, doesn't matter. So. I, I wanted to ask you a question about um, your experience, if you've had any, with um, Chogam Jumpa, if I'm saying that right. And then yeah. I was hoping maybe I, I've been trying to find information on his behaviors, and I just can't find too much about. He was a wild man. That's what I hear. He was what they call crazy wisdom lama, Rinpoche. He was a great being. He did not, he, he really brought the Dharma to America. He, he, he totally immersed himself in the, in the way Westerners see themselves. And of course, in these days, and now with the Me Too movement, that's not really seen as being very good. This was a long time ago, before, uh, before that people thought this way. He used to screw his dis- disciples, and he drank endlessly, and, but he was pretty much seen as a great, great siddha, a great enlightened being, by his own teachers, the Karmapa, Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche, who were two of the greatest lamas who ever lived. They respected him. And Kalu Rinpoche also said, uh, just because an eagle can jump off a a high cliff doesn't mean that you can. So it was, this is very complicated stuff. But he really spoke, he really expressed things in English that in a way nobody ever had before because he had, he was in it completely. And he knew the English language so well that he and and the the, the Western psyche so well that he uh, he was able to uh, uh, ex- explain things in a in a very powerful way. But he was not so, he was a teacher, but he was also a siddha. He also did things. He wasn't just somebody who taught philosophy. He was. And he would do things. He was fierce. Uh, one day, this Danny and Danny and Anasuya, Danny Goldman, were living in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I was living in their house. 
for a while up in the top in this cupola, up in the very top of the three-story old Victorian house. Fantastic. And I, I met this woman, and we, were, we, we had planned to get together that night, and she came to the house, and we were walking up the steps. Oh, oh, earlier in the day, uh, and Rinpoche was staying there too at the time. Earlier in the day, he called me into his room, just me and him sitting there, and he, he took a big bottle of sake and a water glass, and he poured a water glass full of sake, like 16 ounces of sake, to the very top, just before it would spill. I mean, you know, it was extraordinary. He w drunk out of his mind, his hands were perfectly steady. And then he pushed it across the table to me and just went. So I drank the whole cup, the whole, the whole glass. Later that day, uh, this woman and I were walking up the steps to my room. And we got halfway up the steps and a guy comes and calls her and says, Rinpoche would like to see her. But she never got upstairs. She never made it up to my room that night. She slept with him. He stole my girlfriend. This is the kind of stuff he would do. He was fierce. He did not fuck around. He was there to destroy your ego. And he, he did it. Now, a lot of people would judge that from our present day point of view. That's their prerogative. They can do that. But the people who were with him, it's rare that you hear from someone who uh, uh, protested that behavior. I mean, they, they knew what they were in for. And he just jumped into the way we were. You know, everybody was screwing everybody in those days. And so he, he was into it. He just, he, he did it too. But I'm not here to be a, his apologist or anything. I'm just telling you some of the things. But he was so brilliant. His first book, I think, was called Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. It's perfect. And the teach, he also was a treasury revealer. In other words, he, he channeled, teach, secret teachings were revealed to him in like in his mind, and he gave those teachings he, to some of his students. Uh, the teachings on the kingdom of Shambhala were a treasure that he revealed. You know, in the old days in Tibet, the treasure revealers would be able to put their hand in a rock and pull out scriptures, because they say that Padmasambhava, Guru Rinpoche, the great, the second Buddha they call him, would reveal these things, but he would hide them and like put a lock on them until they could be revealed, until they would be useful to people, or people could, they would be of use to people. So sometimes they were hidden for like a thousand years. And then somebody would have a vision, not somebody, but a great, great being, a great Lama would have a vision that it, he could just grab this, these scriptures from inside of this rock. I mean, and people saw this. It, it wasn't a mystery. It was a mystery, but it wasn't. People were there. Like there would be 150, 200 people, and the guy would just put his hand on a rock and pull out these tiny things written in Dakini script, in the script of the Dakinis, the, 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 uh, the Devis, really, the, the goddesses. 
And uh, he, would, he would be the only one who could actually read that script. Amazing stuff. So Trung Pao was extraordinary, and he was respected by his teachers. They did not judge him. And that, if you understand things from that point of view, then you have to, you have to really take that into account, that his teachers did not feel that he was abusing people. He was acting out in a certain kind of way, which was not unheard of in the Vajrayana tradition. There were many great beings who acted in ways that seemed inappropriate. For instance, there was an incredible, in the late 1800s, an, uh, an amazing siddha named Dokenshi Rinpoche, Yeshe Dorji, who was a hunter. And he traveled with his disciples. They all had rifles. And they would shoot a deer. They would cut it up, cook it up, and he would tell everybody to save the bones. And after everybody had eaten, they would put the bones in a pile. He would say a few mantras, and the deer would get up and run away. Really? These things happen. So, for those who can't wrap their heads around that, it would be easy to fall into judgment or to feel judgmental about the behavior of those type of beings. But I believe, I believe that it's not exactly, uh, that wouldn't be the right thing to think. That wouldn't be correct. Now that doesn't mean there, are a lot, there aren't like an infinite number of assholes who do shitty things and should be beaten for it. There's no question about that. Not everybody can do that. Very few people can do that. It can be beyond the attachment, beyond good and evil, beyond fear and, and, and all that, you know, really beyond. And only those few beings can do that. The problem is that there are so many people claiming to be that way, and that really sucks. And they hurt people, and they create karmas for themselves and others that will be unbearable for them. Uh, there are hell worlds that they go to to burn, believe me. So, what are you going to do? People are hungry, and they'll find any way they can to satisfy their desires. And they, they, they'll eat people alive. They don't give a shit about anybody. So, that's bad stuff. But And there's really no way to know. That's the other thing. There's no way to know. There are probably a lot of people who feel that Trungpa was a bad guy. But I don't think his students feel that. That's, that's one thing. Even now, all these years later. So. Well, that was quite a blurt. Okay. Take care. That's it? Hello, Krishnadas. Hello. I've been hearing you since I think I'm three years old or somewhere oh, around there. Break. What are you talking about? I haven't been around that long. <laughs> Just like 16 years. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think especially this past year has been a very pivotal year for me. And you have been with me throughout this year. If it's moving to college and doing laundry, I would always hear some kirtan, or even in the most random moments. Listening to me when um, you do the laundry. Uh -huh. <laughs> Good. Um, gave me a lot of peace and a lot of strength. 
I see. Okay, I'll have to remind somebody about that later. Good. Um, yeah, I recently went through a period, very difficult period um, and had psychogenic seizures, non-epileptic seizures, and being kind of dealing non-epileptic. Non-epileptic. No, non-epileptic. Uh-huh. It's called psychogenic seizures, in other words. Yes, I think just throughout this time, I feel like I have lost a freedom in myself. Um, If it's even just to like, I have fear of crossing the road at times. Or like I grew up in India and I'm not allowed to drive the bike anymore, at Mm. least for now. Mm. And I know these may be small things, Mm -hmm. but I think I internalized it. into being like I have no freedom in thought or being and I think one of my questions would be how to separate the outer obstacles and the inner obstacles because I feel like I just take these outer obstacles and make them into the reality but I do believe that in the mind there is a strength to not see those obstacles and be free it's within yourself well you, you can't fight against your thoughts mm-hmm. you're not going to win because you're, you're fighting on the same level that they exist you know all we can do is train ourselves to release those thoughts right which means developing a little bit of practice every day a little mantra, a little chanting, a little breath, watching your breath, just calming yourself. Just watch your breath come in. You know, you don't try. You don't, you don't get tense. You're not trying to willfully make anything happen. You just watch your breath come in and out, right? It's, it's doing it anyway, whether you're watching or not. So it's always there. So just bring your attention to it and let it come in and out by itself. And when you notice your thinking, you come back. When you, whatever, what, you are, what you're thinking doesn't matter. What you're feeling, I'm afraid. Well, I'll come back. Right? You just keep coming back. And, you, and that, that develops this automatic ability to release the, the hold of those type of things. Uh, this is good work, you know. It's good work. It's good that you recognize the situation. That's very good. And also it's even better that you recognize something can be done about it. That's fantastic. Most people spend their whole lives completely asleep. They don't even think, ever think anything can be done to help themselves. Mm. And that's really sad. So you're already, you know, you're in the game and that's, that's, all, that's where you want to be. So you're, it's all good. So now you just want to find a way to relax a little bit. That's all. You know, physical exercise is good. Asana practice is very good. Gentle, loving, relaxed asana practice. You know, something that just gets your body moving and gets your muscles moving and lets the energy flow through you instead of getting stuck in places, you know. Something like that. Simple it's not something that you have to worry about, you know. It's not violent exercise, just gentle, 
breathing with the movement of the body. Very good. And that will actually help release some tension, and the tension always affects the mind too. But definitely just sing a little bit, you know, sing a little bit, dance around a little bit, relax, take it easy. Don't give yourself a hard time. It's okay. How old are you? I'm 19. 19. Well, you can pretty much count on the next four or five years being hell on earth. (laughs) (laughs) No, 19 is a very, is very, it's good that you're interested in this stuff. Very good. It shows that you have a, a, a deep, uh, sensitivity to the spiritual path. That's wonderful. So you just want to start to start to take responsibility for your states of mind. Okay? But you don't do it like this. You know, you do it like this. You know? Letting go. Releasing. Letting go again and again. So just practice that, you know, for a few minutes at a time. Don't think, don't try to sit for a half an hour. Don't try to sit for, you know, just sit somewhere comfortable and just watch your breath. If you fall asleep, that's perfect. Don't worry about it. And you come back, fall asleep again. Sometimes that happens to me. Uh, you know, I'll just be, uh, I'll, it's not really sleep, actually. It's just, it's the mind kind of sinking into itself in a different way than sleep. It's not really sleep, but it's similar. It feels similar. Uh, you know, and, and do what you can to be healthy physically. Eat well, that kind of stuff. Take it easy. And, you know, uh, and, and you have, we, through these practices, we develop the inner strength to, to have the courage to deal with whatever arises in our lives. That's the main thing. To, you'll be able to deal with whatever happens. Good or bad. What we, th- what we call good or bad. You know, it might be painful, it might be physical problems. It doesn't have to screw you up completely inside. But, we, but one must cultivate that a little bit, you know? So, yeah, so... Uh, if you're inclined to it, I would definitely uh, try to learn the Hanuman Chalisa because it's a very powerful prayer that Maharaji gave to us in order to help us connect with him, with that place of real power inside ourselves, and to develop the strength to deal with daily life without being destroyed by it. So it's all good. It's all good. But Ramana Maharshi was one of the great saints of modern age. He lived uh, in the south, uh, in a place called Tiruvannamalai, at the foot of a mountain called Arunachala, Arunachala, which is believed actually to be a living Shiva Ling itself. That um, he was an extraordinary being, and. Uh, He wrote this, he said this, Remain all the time steadfast in the heart, in the oneness. God knows the past, the present, and the future. 
He will determine the future for you and accomplish the work. What is to be done will be done at the proper time. Don't worry. Abide in the heart and surrender your acts to the divine. Oh, this is so beautiful. So beautiful. This is a statement of where we really headed, ultimately. Uh, it, it starts off with what he says is impossible for us at the moment. Remain all the time steadfast in the heart. Well, next, you know, we would like that, but we're working on it. But this part, you know, what is to be done will be done. What's going to happen will happen at the proper time. Don't worry. Abide in the heart. Once again, not easy. Abide in the heart and surrender your acts to the divine. Surrender is, what it ultimately means is surrendering the belief that you're the doer. We see ourselves as being busy and doing lots of stuff. We're meditating, we're getting devotional, we're getting this experience, we're running around, and now I'm going shopping, now I'm watching TV. We have this sense of me all the time. But what we don't have is the, the sense of what's in there. There she is, she's back. What happened to you? You went into samadhi, well, like that. My internet cut off, I'm sorry. Where are you? Just, I'm in India, in Where? Tamil Nadu. Tamil Nadu? In Oroville. Oroville? Yeah, wow. grew up here. Oh, really? Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Maharaji went there once. And he, he met the mother. And oh. he later said, Mother tried to keep me there. She tried to keep me, but I escaped. He laughed. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. I, was just I wanted talking. to ask. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I wanted to ask one more question, um, which is what did Maharaji say to people? Job. Or think about <laughs> the fear of death. The what? Fear of death. Well, when I was going to kill myself, I was living in the temple and I was having a nervous breakdown. Hallucinations, everything. I was out of my mind. He looked at me and said, what are you going to do? Jump in the river? Ah! He laughed. You can't die. Worldly people don't die. Only Jesus died the real death. What? Why? Because he never thought of himself. That's the real death. The death of the ego. Thoughts of me never arise. They just don't arise anymore. There's only oneness there. There's only the one. So, uh, which is your true nature. So, he wasn't worried about death. And he, I don't, I can't remember him really saying anything about it specifically. Um, but I had a, a girlfriend back in the States before I went to India. 
And while I was in India, she committed suicide in America. So I went to Maharaji and uh, I asked for blessings for her. It's a long story. I've just compressed it into it. And he said, he hit me on the head, don't worry, she won't bother you anymore. Because she had come to see me after she died. She, she came to see me at night after she died. And it freaked me out. And he said, don't worry, she won't bother you anymore. So, but Baba, what about her? Will she have good birth? And he just said, huh, she'll have a good birth. That's the only time I ever heard him talk about rebirth. I never heard him, you know, he used to say things like, oh, I'm very old, you know, things like that, which, and you know, when, um, when Maharaji left the body, uh, some of the people who used to come see him in Allahabad went to visit this other saint named Deora Hababa, who was 270 years old. And he had lived in the county of Deora, Deora, for all those years. Everybody knew him. That was in, in UP. There's the county, Deora. And uh, I'm not exactly sure what the county's called, but it, Deora Hababa means the Baba from De, that place. Deora, something like that. So he said, oh, I've seen this Leela so many times before about Maharaji leaving the body. He, he can't die. He's not dead. I've seen him do this so many times before. You know, these guys live in another world that we, uh, we don't have access to. So the body dies, but the, the, the dweller in the body, the soul, does not die. And that's who we really are. It's the ego that has fear. And the ego is the delusion that we are separate beings. The belief that we are separate from everybody else and that you're me, you're you and I'm me. That is not actually true, except on that level of little bubbles of egos. So when the bubble pops, what happens? When the wave dissolves back into the sea, what was that wave? Was it anything else but ocean at any time? It was only ocean, right? Nothing happened. There was ocean, it's ocean. But we call it a wave. Just like you call yourself you. And I call myself me. But we're just waves. And, and the wave is caused by winds that blow in from somewhere, right? And start the waves moving, right? And those winds are our previous karmas. They manifest this me. And then they, the winds abate, and that wave disappears. But was it anything other than the ocean ever? So are you anything other than God at any point? No, but you think you are. So because you think that, you have work to do. 
which is to remove those thoughts and remove the glue of those thoughts that hold us and make us believe we are who we think we are. That's where fear is, that's where longing is, that's where shame and grief and anger and selfishness, those are all thoughts of me, me, me. So, so if you just relax every day for a few minutes, just take a little time off where nobody can bother you for just a few minutes and just let everything go. But just let all that energy drain out of the body. Let the thoughts drain out of the mind. And just be with yourself. And when you notice you've been thinking, you're actually already back. Right? Otherwise you'd still be thinking and you wouldn't know. So when you notice you've been thinking, ah, okay, and then you just relax again and let them all go. That's meditation. Mm-hmm. And at some point, if you like, you can add... You can do japa with the breath. You know, just repeat one of the names as the breath comes in and out. That'll help too. But just, it's a game. Play the game. Enjoy it. Find a way in there. That's all. Okay. Nice talking Thank to you. Thank you so much. Sure. Take care. All right. So, uh, that's the deal. This is from the Bhagavad Gita. When he sees me and all, and sees all in me, then I never leave him and he never leaves me. And he, who in this oneness of love, loves me in whatever he sees, wherever this man may live, in truth, He lives in me. That's Sri Krishna talking to Arjun. When he sees me in all and sees all in me, then I never leave him and he never leaves me. And he who in this oneness of love loves me in whatever he sees, Difficult people, loves me in whatever he sees, wherever this person may live. In truth, he lives in me. Well, that's the that's 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 the path of love. And when we see Maharaji in everyone, then we see him all the time. We don't get fooled by the appearances. This is something that comes as a fruit of practice and a fruit of devotion. It isn't something you do in your head. Like, oh yeah, okay, I'm going to see Maharaji in this person. No. No, it doesn't work like that. It's the fruit of the practice we do, whatever practice that is. The love that's generated in our practice and in our hearts. So, and, and Hanuman Chalisa generates that kind of devotion and love, and the Ramcharita Manas, Tulsidas Ramayan, really opens the heart to those realities. So, okay, wonderful to be with you today. Thank you so much for coming.
be safe, be good, be take care of care of yourselves, okay? Ram Ram, Namaste. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Kirtan Mala Foundation. Krishnadas is renowned for leading Kirtan, the spiritual practice of chanting, and workshops around the world. For more information about him, including upcoming events, please visit krishnadas.com. K-R-I-S-H-N-A-D-A-S.com. We also invite you to visit kirtanwalafoundation.org. K-I-R-T-A-N-W-A-L-L-A-H foundation.org Here you will find more offerings dedicated to spreading the teachings of Neem Karoli Baba. Love everyone, serve everyone. Remember God. Ram Ram.